I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12 Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12. And the best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected with customer, customers, customers, Rob, not customers, and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business to get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more. All for a fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com slash 12 Pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12 pack to get started. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world famous full time champs and feel the power! It's a new day, yes it is! For 12 pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. This is Sharp College Football Podcast, and there's a reason. It's because today we are going through all of the 2022 Beta Rank College Football projections, which is pretty exciting. I'm, re- I'm really stoked about this conversation because we're going to talk Pac-12, but we'll also talk just, you know, just college football in general, just lining up teams against each other, getting a good feel for where they're going to stand as we move into the 2022 season and i'm joined as always by rob bauer and rob we have some pac-12 news to start but um this is probably a good time to talk you know um you know <laughs> to do all of the uh cya when it comes to projections right like this is a starting <laughs> point <laughs> so how are you man to, like it's a well, first you have to do the terms and conditions right yeah like the uh the t's and c's so <clears throat> the projection model in beta rank is built off of three main inputs um, recruiting rankings. So I use a rolling two-year recruiting ranking um, to give an idea of new players that might play this season. Then we have your prior year performance. And that is an idea of really like how good you've been. <laughs> then we have returning production, which will tell us who's actually coming back off the team that, you know, was what, from what we saw last year. And then what beta rank has built in that's a little bit different is a coaching and development ranking. And that gives us an idea of given how well you have recruited, given what you brought back and given prior year production, like who's doing the best, who's getting the most out of their inputs in college football. Yeah. That's exciting. Uh, And at any time I would also, to your point, like, sorry, we got to do the, like choose your own adventure, which is these are just projections. It's useful to grade every team in college football on the same rubric. The model doesn't see everything. It doesn't know that Jaden Daniels transferred at this point. <laughs> it doesn't see coaching changes. Um, you know, so like take it and, but knowing that it's a useful place to start, right? And have a conversation about where you think teams might beat this projection, where you think teams might underperform the projection, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it takes into account, um, you know, what a team did last year and it looks, looks forward and just gives us a peek. And again, as we, as we always say, was it week six is beta rank week, right? Where the model locks in. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's where like week six is where and <clears throat> beta ranks different than other models um, in that in in season past week six it doesn't use any out of season data. It is all in season data at that point. Yeah, so we're we're excited. I I love this because it gives us a good a good uh, a good foundation to start from when we're taking a look at some of these teams and we're going to jump into those but before we do there there has been some news that's broken in the Pac-12 you just mentioned the first item which is Jaden Daniels making the jump from ASU to a school unknown at this point and I first caught wind of this when our friend Ralph Amson at uh, Pac-12 Apostles had tweeted that, oh, hey, you know, may- maybe, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you know, it's always funny when people that are in the know will tweet something out. So he's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there won't be uh, the the movement in the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 aren't quite done yet. And then about 30 minutes later, you get the news that Jaden Daniels has entered the transfer portal. And I, I have a lot of thoughts on this because I think it was, the timing was interesting. It seems like, Rob, the reports made it seem like uh, ASU had a chance to get Spencer Rattler and they decided to stick with Daniels. And then he ends up jumping into the portal anyway. But he does lose his offensive court. He does lose his offensive is that proper English? He loses his offensive coordinator. There we go. That sounds right. better. When in doubt, cut the sentence down. Um, obviously, he's staring down some sanctions. And uh, here we are. I don't know. What, what did you think when you first heard the news break? At first, like, I was I was a little surprised because I thought if he was going to transfer, he would have done it earlier. Um, I get that there have been precipitating circumstances. Um you know, here at ASU, the the staff turnover, you know, the potential for looming sanctions. Um, but also, I mean, like I, you know, you definitely get the feeling that he was not because they had hired in the new offensive coordinator and, and maybe he just he wasn't on board. <laughs> but Daniels, I mean, like I, I mean, so I mean, I, I think if you're ASU, there's definitely a glass half empty on this, which is you're losing an experienced starter. A guy that's got great mobility, um, you know, and generally, you know, does good things with the football. Uh, but the flip side of it is, and there's a definitely a glass half full view to this, which is, man, Jaden Daniels was really limiting their offense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, Sports Info Solutions um, had tweeted out his accuracy numbers for down the field. And outside of 10 yards, they were just god-awful. Um, you know, like among the very worst in college football, certainly among the very worst in the Power Five, um, you know, pretty good, you know, within that 10-yard range. But down the field, he was really hurting and limiting the offense. And this last season, I mean, you really can't argue. I mean, like they had a real – like he had all the running game support you could imagine. <laughs> he certainly had some guys that were on paper, some pretty talented wide receivers um, that they had recruited in um, and they just struggled. And so I think if you're an ASU fan, there's definitely a world that, you know, that this offense is now more opened up and um, you know, that, uh, you know, that I think that you can talk yourself into like, you know, them because they, you know, they weren't great offensively last season. I mean, this offense was only at 60 overall in beta rank. I mean, that's a bad power five offense. There's certainly room to improve. Now I, I think they did lose some important players on the offensive line, you know, running backs to replace, but you know, I think you can talk yourself into the passing game being better than they were last year. I'm yeah. I'm interested to see where he lands and what, that coaching staff is able to make with him, right? So, you know, it's it's kind of a chicken-the-egg argument that we'll see play out over time. Was Daniels 
really talented and the staff wasn't able to put those pieces together or um, was the staff limited by the skill of Daniels and that's what kept the offense from moving forward. I'm really hoping that, you know, and I've said this every for every quarterback that's jumping in the transfer portal. I'm really hoping Oregon State gets him because I just want to see <laughs> what Jonathan Smith can do with him because I don't think that he is a Sam Neuer. I think he's significantly more talented. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we saw what happened with Neuer when he when he jumped into Purdue. He kind of got replaced really quickly. Um, but it'd be kind of interesting to see what a uh, staff that has some experience being creative on offense is able to do with, with the tools that he has. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where he ends up. We haven't gotten any news yet on where he is going to, uh, you know, transfer to, but uh, no, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I'd be, I mean, there've been some, I wouldn't expect him at a really high end school, right? Like he's not going to Texas. Like they got Quinn yours who is going to be a far better quarterback than, Daniels, right? Like Mackenzie Milton, who went to Oklahoma is a more highly regarded quarterback than Jaden Daniels is. Um, You know, that's not to say that like, but I think what'll be interesting, like, is if you see him go to like a top of the power five type program, they're taking a flyer on him. They're, they've got an extra roster spot. They'd like to have an experienced quarterback on there. They're going to bring him in, see what he's got. But if it doesn't work out, no big whoop, right? But Daniels is going to come into that knowing he has no guaranteed, no guarantee to be the quarterback. And there's probably already somebody there established um, that he's going to have to beat out, you know, in order to land the job. Um, or at least somebody else that comes in more highly regarded than him. Um, you know, I could see it like Oregon State, like you mentioned, would almost be ideal for him because he's going to get really good quarterback coaching in a well-run offense, <laughs> you know, behind a really well-coached offensive line. So do that. <laughs> <Please. Yeah. laughs> um, but after that, you start to get into, you know, like, I mean. Uh, you know, uh, another good place for him might be Cal, right? Like, I mean, they only brought oh, yeah. in Plummer from Purdue. Like, they don't have anybody really that jumps out at you, uh, you know, there, you know, for sure. Colorado? Uh, Colorado yeah, Col- I mean, you'd be like, but I, I like that's that's what's sort of tough about this with Daniels is like it this definitely feels like a, a – a move where he's going to be looking for something better than he had at ASU. I don't know that that's going to be available. And and look, I also said that I didn't think Sam Neuer was going to get another FBS offer and he got a power five one. (laughs) It started. I mean, yeah, I mean, like take that, like, I mean, Sam Neuer should not see quarter, like should not see the field of a quarterback in a power five game again, but you know, like that happened. So, I mean, you could see teams take a flyer on Daniels for sure. I just have, I have a hard time seeing him, you know, given what we, the, you know, what's on tape for his limitations, you know, and getting the ball down the field. I have a hard time seeing him, you know, in, in, in some offenses, like, you know, like if Rich Rod were a quarterback or, you know, we're running a, an FBS program somewhere, he'd, he'd be like ideal for that type of an offense. Um, you know, but I don't think even like Gus Malzahn, like, I mean, you know, I mean, but that would be it. Like, I mean, like a Gus Malzahn type offense, if you were to transfer to central Florida, you know, Rich Rodriguez is, by the way, running an offense. Yes, it's just in the FCS. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, no, oh, no, no, he's not. On the, he's doing on a the Rattler rumors. Oh, Jacksonville right? State. That's right. Yeah, I oh, forgot. Yeah. I thought he was still at Monroe. My apologies. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, he is. He's, he's got his own. He's got his own program now. Um, but I would also say, like on the Rattler rumors, like 
the I don't think it ever got very far. I think that the Arizona State staff, you know, once they knew that Daniels was coming back, um, they didn't pursue Rattler very far. But I would also say that, like, even if they had pursued him, I don't think they're outbidding South Carolina for his services. I think um, that, well, it's particularly now, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think ASU's got, like, a massive booster donor engagement to bring in Spencer Rattler right now with a dark cloud sort of like, cause you have to be like, this is all new. You have to be putting this together now, this, you know, these NIL packages and that kind of thing. Um, I think that's a, that's a challenging situation for ASU to have that they, I'm sure they will catch up on. It's just a challenging situation right now to put, to put together. I, I don't think even if they had said, hey, yes, we are interested in you coming, Spencer Rattler, I don't think they land him, um, given the the limitations that they have on on what's out there with, you know, the potential sanctions and what was overhanging the staff. But also, I think South Carolina just has a lot more money. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And a lot more exposure. You don't have yeah. the cloud cloud over. You don't have the, the unanswered questions. And it makes sense for Daniels to leave. I think a fresh start would be good for him, just given all the criticism and, uh, frankly, all the on-field production that um, or lack thereof that he had in this previous season. It's just the timing of it is interesting because it seemed like, you know, finally ASU had gotten over the hump. They had their staff together. It's time to move yeah. forward. And <clears throat> then he drops that. And it did seem like, I mean, and I could be wrong, right? I'm not the insider into ASU football by one iota, but it did seem like, at least on the outside, that Herm was sticking by his man, right? Like you didn't see a lot of criticism towards Daniels from the staff. Um, they didn't. They they took a transfer, but it kind of seemed like it was the the backup transfer, right? They didn't get a big splashy person, right. and maybe that was because they could get one. Um, but they did bring in uh, the great grandson of Bear Bryant or whatever, who who is a, a pretty high, highly regarded commit. But he also was the backup, and now, man, th- that is a a fairly thin roster. Uh, I think Borquette is the the guy who is the pajama ball all star. You know, like the seven on seven. Yeah. Everybody loves that guy. He won like seven national titles uh, on seven on seven. He he is really uh, a, from all all I've heard an incredible football mind. Just doesn't quite have the physical abilities. So you have that. And, and then now, of course, you have um, the the Alabama transfer. An interesting predicament. I, I would love for Daniels to transfer in conference just to see what he does. But I, I doubt, like you're mentioning, that that's the case. Um, but come on, Oregon State. Get your act together. I know that they're uh, in the running for a four-star commit from uh, out of Colorado that's going to uh, determine his location where he's going to play football tomorrow, which will be interesting to keep an eye on. But anything else on Daniels? Well, did you see – I mean, the one <laughs> – and we we don't normally jump into this end of the pool, but did you see the? I mean, Matt Barry, the ESPN anchor, is an AS like an ASU alum, pretty connected into the program, and he had tweeted out after Daniels left about the coaching staff and players. I mean, because there was all the thing. I mean, you saw the thing with the players like cleaning out his locker. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. But like had a uh, Matt Barry had tweeted out that sometimes the, a, a coaching staff is relieved because it's not just the player, but also the parent that is leaving. Oh, well, yeah, you did have some of that go on. And obviously, obviously, uh, uh, there was some credit card fraud, right? That, that happened. Well, it was just really funny <laughs> considering like the coaching, like there's a parent mentioned, literally mentioned in the dossier that submitted to the 
<laughs> to Arizona State and then to the NCAA as really like colluding with the coaching staff, you know, on on this uh, on getting these recruits on campus. And then it it feels like like oh no, like the coaching staff's like oh we're so glad this parent is gone. I'm like well you weren't when you were apparently using her to get players on campus. Yeah, what what a disaster. Um, ho- hopefully the the new transfer maybe a recruit that they've picked up. Um, can fill the void, but I, I do think it's going to be an interesting watch uh, ASU football in this 2022 season. You know, moving on to another program, Rob, uh, UCLA finally made their defensive coordinator hire, and um, <laughs> like just, so, we talked a little bit before we started recording, I, and I'm just, um, why don't you tell the fine people what you thought of it? I mean, <laughs> so it's a little bit. It's a little bit like, uh, here's the new boss, just like the old boss. Um, so Jerry Azanaro, when he was hired, had been roughly like a decade out of play calling. And then it spent the intervening years um, as a position coach um, in college in the NFL. And then uh, the new defensive coordinator, Bill McGovern, um, last called plays in 2022 – uh, not 2022, 2012 with Boston College and has spent the intervening years as a position coach, um, mostly in the NFL. And the last time, I mean, I was in awe of this hire because you might as well just hire Jerry as an RO2, um, you know, or version 2.0, uh, because his his last def- defense that he called at Boston College at 2012 ranked at 70 in beta rank. Um, just an totally inexplicable hire, um, from Kelly, uh, for what, you know, really, uh, you know, something that has to get fixed on the defense. And this really, I mean, we talked about this quite a bit. I mean, his staff got picked over, um, you know, uh, by other programs. It really, be- I mean, like this should have been something where they were really trying to put together a package, getting somebody in the offense has mostly been figured out. The special teams have been pretty good. Your glaring hole that's going to keep you from taking a step forward is defense. Um, and it feels like Jeff Kelly just went out and hired another guy that was one of his assistant coaches in the NFL as position coaches. And it's just really disappointing. It strikes me as somebody that gets a promotion and like, you know, is able to hire his team and he just calls all of his friends like, Hey man, you want a job? (laughs) Like regardless of, you know, whether that's a good fit or not. I think the one thing to keep in mind is that there, you know, say what you want about McGovern. If you take a look at his background, um, he has been a a linebackers coach in the NFL for like a thousand years. So, you know, maybe that portion of UCLA is short up. They, they haven't really been able to pull in excellent talent on that front. I mean, more more being the exception of course but i mean does this guy has all east coast ties i mean he he grew up in on the east coast he cut his teeth at pittsburgh and boston college and umass um almost every nfl job he's had has been on the east coast and now in a you know in an era where there's two things that have changed the first is recruiting right and this guy hasn't yeah. recruited college in like 10 years and the game has changed, right? Like, you know, the, the way that, that defenses are run now are significantly different from where they were in 2012. And you're bringing somebody in that really hasn't had an opportunity to run plays against said changed defenses. I, th- this, I mean, maybe it'll work out. 
it doesn't look like it's going to work out. <laughs> like, you know, I, it, and like, right. I think one of the things when, whenever there's a coaching hire, I think we, we have tended to be fairly negative on them, but I think rightly so on most of these, right? You take a look around, you go, I don't know about that one. And that doesn't work out. I don't know about that one. The, the, the one exception being uh, actually Marvin Lewis's uh, impact on ASU. I mean, that actually worked out. So well, and he and, oh yeah, he and Antonio Pierce were better than we were, you know, maybe expecting, I think, but I mean, for the most, like we, we give out kudos when they're due. Right. I mean, I tried to argue for a long time that Andy Ludwig in the face of much yeah, unfair true. criticism, yeah. <laughs> that he was a good hire. <laughs> I would also, I mean, and, like, I mean, we like the landing hire on defense. We like what, you know, DeBoer is putting together offensively right now. Those each have some questions, but you know, um, you know, like we try to like, I think we like Dickert. We, we like, like, yep, Dickert. Do we like Dickert? Yep. And we like we like his new offensive coordinator and where they're going back to the air raid. Um, but there's been some there's been some real questionable calls, <laughs> <You know? laughs> like this off season too. I mean, Jed Fish is taking a real shot in the blue. Uh, you know, with Nance, the um, <clears throat> Oregon State is promoting from within from what had been a really bad defense. Yeah. Um, San- and Stanford yep. said, yeah. And, and Cal, Cal kept Musgrave, right? I mean, like there's. Ugh. All right. <laughs> I just, it was a bummer, right? Cause we were writing this whole time. We're like, I, I mean, I, I frankly wasn't expecting a home run hire from Kelly, but I, I guess I was expecting more than this. And, um, and I didn't get it. Uh, Defensive assistant at Nebraska, you know, I don't think those def- those defenses were very good. Um, and then just linebacker coach up and down for the last decade, basically in the NFL. So we'll see UCLA. Um, you know, anything else on this end? No, I mean, I th- oh, and yeah, we got to talk. Uh, we got to talk to playoff non-expansion. Yeah, weren't weren't. <laughs> right. It seems like isn't it isn't a the ACC like the biggest problem child right now? It seems, I mean, I, I, like, I think the ACC is kicking up the most dust over this, um, you know, but I think the ACC sort of looks at this right now and looks at where their foot, I mean, if you're the ACC, you're looking at this, um, where, and I don't, I mean, let's, 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 let's look past all the things that they're kid. Like, I don't mean to sound like I'm like saying that they're lying that they care about student welfare i'm sure they do (laughs) but it it feels feels a bit like a little convenient excuse because if you're the acc you are locked in for the next decade into basically like a worse version of what the pac-12 was locked into for a decade for a tv deal oh yeah right like the acc is going to be millions and millions of dollars behind every other power five conference by the time, you know, the PAC 12 and the big 10 sign their new deals, um, you know, in the next two years. So the ACC is looking at this and they are suddenly going to be very far financially behind. And they're talking about expanding the playoff and the ACC is looking at that and thinking we are never getting two teams. <laughs> this playoff, right? Even with the 12 team playoff, you know, it's going to be very hard, you know, cause like Miami right now is like not terribly far behind, but like, think about how much Miami money they are going to have to fundraise for coaching staff 
and facilities that's not going to be paid for by TV. And then also have to turn around and fundraise for NIL, um, you know, on the other side of it. Like you're like programs are really going to like in the ACC are going to be really strapped for cash on having to try to keep up. And so like putting a kibosh on this and a limitation on that to try to get some, uh, you know, I think they're trying to get some limitations placed around NIL. They're trying to get some other things figured out to put themselves in a position to potentially be a little closer to where the other conferences are. But what's interesting is, I mean, I think what's interesting out of this, I mean, and this is a bummer for the PAC 12, of course, because like an expanded playoff, the PAC 12 is going to get a representative in. Um, that's not to say that they're going to win too many games, but <laughs> I want us to get there. I don't say that negatively. Like, I mean, I think we're on the cusp of a, a new era with Lincoln Riley here rejuvenating things. But I do think if you're uh, what's interesting coming out of this is the like the real, real chatter that came out. I mean, like what Greg, I mean, Greg Sankey and other, some other and you've been around. I mean, you've been in you know, like what I call like, you know, from my time at, uh, working at American express, like senior leaders, you know, like when a senior leader comes out and in public lays out the dirty laundry that the way like Greg Sankey did, like God knows, I mean, they have to be just livid in private. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, that's what's like the most interesting thing about this, you know, like, and it's a bummer that the playoffs not expanding, but the most interesting thing, and I say that, like, I don't, like, I'm, like, I don't want to have a debate on the right number of playoff teams. I think that's a silly debate. I think it is tough to get a, you know, sport like college football with such a small sample size of games to not have a larger playoff. But I don't, um, you know, beyond the, like, I mean, the main thing for the conference is they make more money with a larger playoff. Um, but Sankey was pissed and he, I mean, he has torched people, um, you know, for it. And that's what I think will be interesting going forward on this is like, you still have to build consensus and trust. And you like, you also have to figure out, you know, because like the big 10 and the PAC 12 are now very much lined up to not be aligned with ESPN. Um, you know, who's the current owner of the playoff pretty much whole owns the ACC wholly all of their content <laughs> and owns a good chunk of what is out there for, I mean, I think if not all of the SEC going forward, you know, and like, what does, you know, like, how do they, how do they find a way to come together on expansion on this, um, potentially? And then, you know, like what, um, Oh, and we should, so we'll, we'll cover this, but there was actually some really good news. Um, if you followed the back 12 money stuff that came out in a sports business journal article, but. Well, let, let's get into that. I guess the, the one thing I should mention before that though, is that when the sec came out with their big announcement, right. And you had this big thing about the Alliance. Um, yeah. It, it seems that the only thing that's going to come out of that, particularly with the big, I think the big 10 just said that they're not going to move to eight, conference games right and yeah. the, the whole idea was them you know they would remove a conference game so that they could play you know other conferences but likely the pac-12 or the acc they have basically squashed that idea which is a bummer just for the sake of the sport i think it'd be really fun to see more games featuring big time yeah. conferences playing each other and I, I don't know if you want to call the pac-12 a big time conference but you know the the, the power five whatever um 
So that that was a problem. And now you have the ACC, which seems to be the biggest hiccup. And it, it and it might this might come down to a payoff, right? They might just be yeah. whining and complaining and gnashing the teeth so that they can get paid, um, so that it can at least make up a lot of the revenue that they've lost from their contract relative to all the other contracts that were signed after them. I mean, they really did get the rawest of raw deals compared to the the big conferences. So I think there's that. Yeah. And if maybe the the one thing that'll come out of this is possibly splitting up that playoff between you know espn and another uh you know like another network to kind of cut curb the power of espn but like if if you're a college football fan is like whoop-de-doo like okay whatever (laughs) like right um just seems like a lot of the things that were they and they weren't promised i remember when that alliance statement came out it was just a lot of like you know um it, it, it was a lot of words and not a lot of like specifics and uh, and I think it was drafted in that way because it was very possible that we would end up in the scenario that we are now. So I just want to at least highlight yeah. that because it kind of sucks. Well, in the Big Ten, I mean, you 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 know what happened, right? I mean, the Big Ten is in TV negotiations right now. Like they're the Pac-12 is next, um, <clears throat> but the Big Ten, as as talked as has already basically let ESPN know. Um, that they're going to be because they ESPN had an exclusive negotiating window, um, and the Big Ten basically said like we we're not interested in your offer. We're going to market. Um, the conversations that they've ha- have to have had in market are that that ninth game that they have on the schedule, which is one more Ohio State game that if you buy Big Ten football rights, you own um, the rights to broadcast. Um, that ninth game is more valuable then potentially splitting a game, you know, getting Ohio state every other year. If you're, if that's not like, if the big 10 is having a, an alliance with the ACC, cause the ACC is wholly owned by ESPN, right? So if you're Fox, you'd much rather pay for the nine game big 10 schedule than eight games and having, and you, you know, where you only get Ohio state every other year, potentially. Right. And there's no guarantee. I mean, and this is where it gets interesting, I think, and there's some good news if you're the PAC 12 and that is that NBC and CBS are, are light. The rumors are that they're likely going to be major players in college football bidding. I mean, mostly around the big 10, but whoever loses is likely going to be bidding heavily into the PAC 12. Yeah, I kind of got a feeling from that with CBS because it seems as if they had upped their game in terms of the broadcast yeah. quality. And I love the Cover 3 podcast. Those guys are great. It's uh, Bud Elliott and Chip uh, Chip Patterson and Tom Fernelli and Danny Cannell. They they are all hired by CBS. And they've been kind of touting that a little. You know, like they're, they're really good at just kind of delivering whatever happened on the field. And I think their analysis is good. But you can also tell sometimes they have to insert a couple talking points. And one of them was like their commitment to high quality football. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. We'll keep that in mind. Yeah. So that, that's good news, right? Well, that means an extra bidder for the Pac-12. Right. I mean, but I think what will be interesting, though, is like, NBC and CBS have basically been one game a week networks, right? I mean, and I mean, if Notre Dame's not playing at home, less than that for NBC, yeah, right. But that's going to be a big change in their programming potentially, right? Like if they buy a good chunk of Pac-12 rights or a good chunk of Big Ten rights or both, 
then they might be going and and actually putting games more across the afternoons um, than they had in the past. Well, I mean, or you could see some sort of mix where like they bid for you know premium Big Ten and they still stick to you know premium Big Ten, premium Pac-12. Um, you know, only looking to keep that one game a week window, and then the rest of it gets divvied up between Fox and ESPN or NBC or something like that. Yeah, well, that'll be good. That's good news for the for the conference. It'd be nice to see more games uh, live, and 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 hopefully, you know, it'd be nice that goes to college basketball. I mean, we're seeing the good thing is some of the premium college basketball games from Pac-12 have mostly been on Fox Sports One and Fox and CBS, like ESPN. They've been on the networks. Yeah. Um, but like a good example is the Arizona Oregon game was on at at 10 p.m. Eastern time, and that and that was the uh, that was the college game day game right like can you imagine in football if game day went to ucla and then the game kicked off at 10 o'clock eastern time like that's such trash uh so it'd be nice to see you know whether the not those networks would be able to give some more exposure to uh, both sides of the coin there uh, anything else here on uh, I, I would like you know this stuff is interesting but it does kind of get a little dry after a while you know like you got to keep track of it but it, it does really impact what the conference is able to do yeah. over time, but anything else before we get to uh, our projections here? No, and we're not going to cover like the endless, you know, playoff expansion stuff, but we will cover the TV stuff, right? As the PAC 12 approaches a deal. Cause that's the stuff that really matters, right? As we approach the SEC, you know, raking in potentially more money once they get Texas and Oklahoma, like how far is the PAC 12 behind um, is a really important question. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we're going to go through our 2022 college football beta rank preseason projections, and I'm really excited about this. Let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. And one of the best things about having a like super legit college football statistical model is you can <laughs> you can do projections before the season and not rely on other folks to do it. So very excited to go through this. You can see all these numbers, by the way, on sharpcollegefootball.com, which uh, and, and they're like right there on, on the front. There's a great article that Rob wrote that really goes into the numbers and the differences and, and just what Baderank tries to do. Um, additionally, I know Rob, you're going through on you. Well, you can explain better than I am. I know you're doing some stuff on YouTube. What, uh, you want to plug some of that? Yeah. I mean, we've kicked off the, uh, the previews on YouTube. So I just finished Utah. Actually, we've done three. We've done Mississippi state, Notre Dame and Utah. We're going from 10 to one and then we'll do 20 to 11 and hopefully get in 50 in, in tens <laughs> before the season starts. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to walk, you know, to get through and kind of dive in. Um, you know, to, to, to what we have in the numbers for next season. So I'm looking at the numbers here and, uh, right off the bat, you know, your top five, Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia, Clemson and Michigan. So no, no surprises there. But the one thing I wanted to ask Clemson, maybe like Clemson's Clemson's going off a little bit of like, uh, not this past year, but year before, you know, how well they've done in, in prior years. That is true. And, and one thing that the model doesn't see is the total 
overhaul of the coaching staff, right? Brent Venables goes to Oklahoma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're bringing everything up. I'm I'm really fascinated about that. Well, we'll get into that in a second. But one of the questions I had for you is so, you know, they're they're ranked from one to five. Um, those are your top five, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan. One of the things right next to these, and if, again, sharpcollegefootball.com, you can look look at all this stuff, is you have the uh, projected score, right? And so Alabama is at yeah. 3.22. Um, and one of the things that you really highlighted for me when we first started delving into these numbers is that there oftentimes are drop-offs. Like just because, you know, yep. you're, you're first and second doesn't mean, you know, or for your first, second, third, that third place team might not be, um, equally as far from the first, you know, the, the, the first place team yep. as the second place team. So right off the bat, I see a drop off, right? Uh, 3.22 is, uh, Alabama's, uh, who, who's ranked first. And then Ohio state is 2.85. Georgia 2.72. Is that a huge drop off? And then, and then it really kind of falls off a cliff from there. So it seems like there are a couple teams that the model is like, all right, these teams are in real good shape. And then after it, so like, do you mind just walking through that score and how big yeah. of a drop off these numbers mean? So it's about a four point difference between uh, like four, four game points, right? Like between Alabama and Ohio state. Um, and then if you were to go down to, you know, Clemson, like in between Georgia and Clemson, um, you know, that's probably another three points. So like Alabama is, you know, by the time we get to Clemson is about seven points better. By the time you would get to like Notre Dame, Alabama is 17 points better than Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> and for context, Notre Dame is nine. Number nine. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so like, that's like, you know, the college football really in some of this is that we are, and I, I don't think there's any other, we are living in the era of Nick Saban. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, like he was redefined. I mean, he has basically defined what a modern college football superpower is. Um, and so like, if you're going to try to compete for national championships, there's a, there's definitely a level up there that you have to reach. And really since 2017, a lot of that has been driven by the real growth of offenses. Um, and, but that gap has gotten larger, right? Like the, the, the teams at the very top of college football, um, the distance, say, if you looked at like 2019 between them and like, you know, the number 10 team has grown significantly from like what you would say from like 2015. Um, so there's, there's just like, uh, I think that is, this is part of like why, you know, like you could say like Alabama, it, it, it feels like they're able to maintain their success as well as they are, um, is that they're just that much better <laughs> than the, you know, the teams they are up against Ohio state is an interesting, I mean, I think Ohio state has potential upside. It doesn't see that. I think they have made, you know, the real, the best coordinator hired that anybody made this off season and Jim Knowles on defense to fix their problems. Um, but there's a big gap. I mean, I would say right now, like the top three teams, you know, all have real potential, you know, and you could talk about as national championship contenders, you know, if there's a fourth that emerges, they're going to have to really tie it on because Clemson's a big question mark for me at number four, but there's a big gap when you get down to Michigan, right? Like there's a, like they're, they're about a 12 point underdog to Alabama, um, you know, whereas Ohio state was only four. Um, and, and it's a much smaller gap, right? Like when you start to look at say Notre Dame, or like Mississippi state at 10, you know, they are only versus, you know, like we said, Alabama to number 10 is a, about a 17 point favorite, uh, you know, Michigan, or I'm sorry, uh, Mississippi state to P 
Pitt, who is at 20, they're they're only about a five point favorite, four four or five point favorite. So the the gap between teams at the at the ends of the at the distribution is quite large. Yeah, it, and it's fascinating when you take a look at the numbers. And again, sharpcollegefootball.com, you can just look at them, right? It, you know, the teams that place above basically two in, ter- in terms of your projected score, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and then Clemson is further behind. So those are your top four. And again, with Clemson, I kind of want to see what happens with, you know, their yep. hires on the defensive front, on the offensive front, uh, DJ Ungalele, um, Yui Ungalele, gosh darn it, I can't, my apologies, DJU um, really didn't deliver last year. Um, just sticking with those first four real fast, one of the things that I think is fascinating is you know, talked about how ba- the model doesn't necessarily see the hires yet. So Ohio State, who is awesome on offense, they had the number one offense in the country yeah. last year, um, clearly struggled in the beginning of the year because their play caller on defense, as you could have seen in the Oregon game. And then they go out and they basically bring in one of the best defensive minds that you could you could buy. Um so th- yeah. I think there's significant upside for Ohio State. If you're looking at a team that really could fight for that, you know, f- for making that leap against Alabama, I think Ohio State's on that front, given that Georgia loses so much. Is that is that fair? Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and that's the other hire that you would talk about with Ohio State is they got Justin Fry from UCLA to coach offensive line. And they, Ryan Day's preferred mode of operation is to run the football. That 2019 offense was built around just running the football down your throat. They had to throw the football a lot last year. And it's not that they're going to go away from that fully, but I expect them to be better running the football next year with the fixing the offensive line issues. They get the defense in line. Like Ohio state is, you know, they're, 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 they're a reasonable team to easily. I think it's really them or Alabama to talk about as number one next season. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. You know, dipping be uh, past the first four, you know, there's another natural grouping here and that goes from number five to number eight. And one of, one of these yep. teams is the PAC 12. So you have Michigan at five, LSU at six, Oklahoma yep. at seven and Utah at eight. Um, I have questions about LSU, um, but Anything that jumps out of those next four in terms of the projections? I mean, so like, so you, you, you need it. Like, like we talked about, like what goes into this, right? Like it's primarily going to be driven by prior performance or recruiting rankings, right? Um, that's going to carry a lot of the weight. And so, you know, for like Michigan coming into next year, they only recruit at 14, but they had a pretty good year last year. They, you know, other than the 2020 season, they've been pretty consistent. Um, you know, and but the the thing with them to maybe and and they return a decent amount. They return a lot on offense next season too. Um, but Michigan, of course, has coordinator turnover. <laughs> you know, like mileage may vary a little bit. Um, you know, with their coordinators. Um, so that that's a, like in Oklahoma again. Like, you know, they really put it together offensively at the end of last season. Um, they've did a pretty good job at coaching and development them they've recruited pretty well you know like the, like they're at number six in recruiting i mean for lsu like the reason they're up there they're at number four overall in recruiting still i mean lsu has a really talented roster um you know they just had a really bad you know last two years um but when you recruit that well you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of credit in a projection model yeah on that front i think it's fascinating because they are going to have the players 
And as yeah. much as everybody's kind of poo-pooed Brian Kelly, like, I mean, the guy has put together very, like a very, very strong culture and uh, floor, particularly at, yeah. at a school that is kind of diff- more difficult than some of the other schools to recruit to, which is Notre Dame. Um, I think it's interesting to see what he's able to do at LSU. I think the cultural fit is obviously awkward <laughs> right now to start. Um, yeah. And the the coordinator hires that he's brought on, I think, are suspect. So would you say it's fair of the, you know, those next four, Michigan, LSU, Oklahoma, Utah, that the biggest fall could come from LSU? Or is there another team in there that really jumps out as saying, oh, maybe the model had him a little higher than than we anticipated? I mean, I think that, I, I mean, I certainly think Michigan, you could talk yourself into them falling a bit more. Um, they're at 122 returning production on defense. Um, they're going to have the two new coordinators in there too. I mean, I think Brian Kelly, like, um, like you said, like you can talk yourself, like I, I think people talking about Brian Kelly winning a national championship. I think that is a bridge too far. I do think he can put together a really competent team at LSU. That's going to be better than what they had, <laughs> you know, like, and given the talent that they've had, you know, the fact that they were so bad on the field. I mean, that's something that you just hire the right coaches. You should be able to fix pretty quickly. And I think Kelly can do that. I think Oklahoma potentially, can hang where they're at because I think Venables is, I mean, he is the best defensive coordinator in college football. Defense has really been Oklahoma's problem. Um, and I like the offensive coordinator. I mean, leave aside all the Baylor off field stuff, but Jeff Levy does a good job calling plays. Um, so I think Oklahoma has got a really competent staff that you, you got to like, um, you know, for them, the question is, of course, is like they do have some questions at quarterback, but I think Venables gets them to a really improved defense, which I think, you know, can get them pretty far. Yeah, that could um, really. Oh, yeah. Go go ahead. No, Utah feels really set, right? Like, I mean, you return Cam Rising. You've got both coordinators coming back. Like you lose Devin Lloyd, but they've done pretty good there. I mean, I just talked about in my vi- preview video for them. My real question for them is along the defensive line because they got to start getting some production out of that again. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things that was interesting for Utah at this spot, and it speaks really highly to player development, and I'm not even using the player development (laughs) statistic, but I mean, when you take a look at the top 10, uh, let's actually the top top 12, they have the lowest recruiting rank out of any of those teams. So for them to be in the same breath as Michigan, LSU, Oklahoma, um, you know, and above Notre Dame, above Texas A&M, above, you know, Mississippi State's a name that I want to talk about because I think it's interesting that they're that high. Um, but that just speaks really, really well of Utah's ability to to just continuously be good and to take the talent and really put something on the field. And I, I mean, it just, I'm excited that you have a, a Pac-12 team that's in the top you know, top eight and a team, like if you look at the teams in front of them, you know, some of those teams have question marks, LSU, let's see if the coaching staff can put it together, Michigan, eh, you know, like, okay, we, we, we lost a lot on defense and Harbaugh was, had one foot out the door. They had to rehire their coordinators, Oklahoma, you have a new head coach that off that defense is going to be awesome, but let's see if he can build a culture. Um, you know, a lot of players that were going to beef up that team ended up going to other schools, cough, cough, USC. Um, you know, right. and then they're above Notre Dame, above Mississippi State. I, They're just in a really interesting spot. And we had briefly chatted about this before we started recording. But like, I mean, Utah, if you take a look at their schedule, 
you know, they, they could have a win over Florida. Um, they have a better schedule in the Pac-12. Like they legitimately, if they if they keep their head on straight, have an opportunity of of cracking the the college football playoff finally after like five years. Yeah, I mean, you this is the, the schedule sets up for them. The Pac-12 is not overwhelming next year. Um, <clears throat> Oregon's really our next best projected Pac-12 team. USC is a bit of a question mark, but you know, I guess they're you know you throw them out there as a potential threat. But um, you know, like this, Utah really has to you know make hay while the sun shines here, right? Like they've got a it's set up, you know, with a pretty easy schedule. They don't have anybody like they're the even Clemson out potentially ahead of them, and Oklahoma out ahead of them right now. I mean, like Utah's got a like you know, has a really clear path versus where those teams are and a lot more certainty about their future um, for next season than the other teams do. I mean, this Utah's set up, right? Like, I mean, they're, if you're going to talk about, you know, like Michigan or LSU, like their shot to get to the playoff is nearly nil because they've got Ohio state and Alabama sitting there. Right. That, um, you know, I know people are going to say like Michigan beat Ohio state last year. Like, we know what the problem was and I, I think they made the hire to fix it with Jim Knowles. Right. So, you know, like that, Oh, Utah doesn't have that. Like they have a, they in front of them, they have a pretty clear path. Now Notre Dame does too, in a way too, like Notre Dame doesn't have an overwhelmingly hard schedule. Um, it's going to come down for Notre Dame game against Clemson game against USC, you know, maybe a game against like North Carolina or someone like that. But Notre Dame doesn't have a very hard schedule either. Yeah. And, and they're next in that next grouping, right? So we're trying to group them by where Bader Inc. Yep. has that final score at. And so, you know, we did Michigan, LSU, Oklahoma, Utah. Those were 1.98 to 1.81. Then there's a drop off, right? You have next up, yep. you have Notre Dame, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Wisconsin, and Oklahoma State. And then after that, we have our next Pac-12 school. So we'll make sure to, to, to cover that. But I just think this grouping of teams is really interesting, right? Because like you just mentioned, Notre Dame has a pretty interesting schedule. And, um, you know, they've had some turmoil over and <laughs> they're into with LSU poaching their coach. Um, Mississippi State, I think, is fascinating. I have a question about them as we go through. You know, Texas A&M makes a ton of sense. Obviously, they've recruited really well. Jimbo needs a quarterback and um, some balls, right, to throw down the field. But if he finds those, I think he'll be in good shape. Wisconsin, yeah. um, you know, is always a team that that kind of sits in that top 15. And then Oklahoma State, um, I, I have some questions about, too, because that defense, basically, we're all seniors and they leave along with their defensive coordinator. Right. Um, but among right. among those teams, where, you know, where do you want to start? I mean, let's start with Mississippi State. I mean, they did a really good job offensively last season after everyone was saying, like, Mike Least is finished and it's the zone and he can't beat it. Yeah, like, whatever. He put up a top 10 offense last season. <laughs> 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 you know, in Starkville, um, you know, and I think his important, his important pieces, I mean, they, 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 you know, I think his important pieces are really coming back, you know, uh, on offense for them. You know, the defense, I, I like the hire that he made in Zach Arnett, um, you know, who runs that, uh, you know, that three, three, five, that Rocky long three, three, five. I think they have an opportunity to take a step forward. Plus their special teams last season. And of course, Matt, Mike Leach famously threw them under the bus as he is wont to do. Um, but they were at 119. I mean, I fully expect them to get a big bump 
off of having better special teams next year. So I mean, Mississippi state's a really intriguing team. I mean, like Alabama is so much better than everyone else that like, you know, Mississippi state's not like a dark horse or something in the sec. Um, but they're definitely a team that you could talk about with all the turmoil at LSU and Auburn and um, you know, like old miss, old miss seems a little crazy too. Cause they've had assistants that they hired and then went back to the NFL Um you know, and like, you know, Lane Kiffin, you know, had to hire a new defensive coordinator and the new, I mean, offensive coordinator with Jeff Levy gone, like Mississippi state's got a shot to maybe finish second in the West next season. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's sim- similar to Ole Miss, like, like you just mentioned, right. Yeah. I mean, Ole Miss was able to jump up and bite a bunch of people this year with an excellent offense. Um, one of the questions I had about Mississippi state is their defense finished 37, which, yep. you know, you feel like they're going to need to boost things up from there, but I frankly didn't watch a ton of Mississippi State this past. I did watch a couple games. I watched the Egg Bowl and I think a couple of when they beat LSU in the beginning. And, you know, he had the get on board the ship and then they immediately got their head handed to them. But I forget who it was. It was the most Mike Leach thing I've ever seen. Um, how is that defense? You know, uh, who, who's running it? Is there any chance that they can improve on that front? Because they're going to need to. No, I think they can improve. Um, so it's Zach Arnett's the defensive coordinator for them. Um, I think they can get a little better. I think, I mean, like they bring back Will Rogers. And if you remember that Gardner Minshew, Mike Leach offense, where like Minshew was really efficient and took what was available and often hit the check down. Like that's what this Mississippi state offense is. <laughs> this is not the, um, uh, Anthony Gordon, like bombs away, like just nothing but deep balls. Mike Leach version of the uh, Mike Leach, uh, offense. This one is, this one is definitely more in the, you know, like, uh, you know, more, more in the efficiency range. I, I think that they do have an opportunity. Um, and like I said, like with, with getting the kicker, you know, in a better place, um, to, to make some moves, a and an interesting one because like yeah. they've recruited really well, but their coaching and development's really low because traditionally they've recruited well and then not done anything with it. And that's really their, I mean, and, the, and their offense wasn't great last season. Of course they had the injury at quarterback, um, I think they have an opportunity to be better there, but I'm, I'm not high cause they lose their defense is really good. Mike Elko is off to be the head coach at Duke. They hired DJ Durkin, who was Lane Kiffin's defensive coordinator. Who's okay, but isn't a great DC. He has to fill the shoes of a guy who was a great defensive coordinator. Um, that gives me a little pause with A&M coming in the next season. Uh, Wisconsin, like it's the Graham Mertz problem, right? Like the defense is really good. The special teams are pretty good. Graham Mertz is awful. The offense has just been God awful. They've got a new offensive coordinator coming in. Bobby Ingram, former Penn state wide receiver. Um, it's been an assistant with the Ravens for a little while, but hasn't called plays. So keep an eye on that. Cause I mean, Paul Chris can always step in and call plays, but he did that already and it hasn't worked. That's fascinating. And and I know that Wisconsin was really trying to make a run at Caleb Williams because there was some sort of connection there between Ingram and the family. And you got to think that if, you know, it, it, it's one thing to sell something. It's another to, you know, I'll believe it when I see it because that Wisconsin identity, right, is run, run, run. You know, let's keep things mellow yellow. Let's just push people around, trust our defense. And I'll believe it when I see it <laughs> when they, when they right. try to open up and, and gun that ball down the field. Um, because like, you know, with Wisconsin, I, I think 12 totally makes sense for them. Like they're, they're going to be able right. to be who they are. 
Um, but man, it, and it's kind of similar to Texas A&M too, where if you look at the top 11, they had the worst defense outside of Clemson, or I'm sorry, the worst offense outside of Clemson. Their defense was excellent. They were at six. Um, and that's why looking at these charts are so fascinating because you can kind of see where, uh, <laughs> where the problems are. Um, 43. And one of the big, you know, hiccups with Jimbo was, are you going to speed up that offense to win? And I'm worried yeah. that he, now, and they had the the problems with the quarterbacks this year, uh, obviously. But I'm worried that Jimbo took a look at what Georgia did and said, "Yes, that's what I'm going to do." Right? Because I feel like <laughs> I feel like Georgia's approach to winning the championship was counter to it, it was the it was the outlier, right? Where the rest of the college football is moving towards a stronger, more creative, more prolific offense, and Georgia happened to have one of the greatest defenses of all time, right? And right. Stetson Bennett just didn't screw up. And Alabama had like their wide receivers hurt and a, and their top corner hurt. Like I just felt like there was a well, couple and things. And, and Bill O'Brien's not as good of a play caller as Steve Sarkeesian was, right? Yeah, yeah. And Ryan Day's had trouble on his offensive line. Um, but I like here's the thing about Jimbo. Even in his best years, he's never put up an offense that's anywhere near a Lincoln Riley offense or a Steve Sarkeesian offense at Alabama or you know that um a Ryan day offense, you know, like he's just not like he hasn't put anything up in that range. So like you can talk me into a and maybe beating this projection. I don't think, I don't see them without like some real turnover luck or playing. Like, I mean, I think they had some turnover luck and played like the game of their lives against Bama. Right. Like I just don't, I don't see them being good enough to get past Bama. Um, and I do think they're going to take a step back on defense. Cause I don't think DJ Durkin is a great defensive coordinator. Yeah, the one thing that they have going for them is, I mean, obviously their recruiting class this year was so oh, yeah. incredibly good. And by the way, they've had top 10 recruiting classes the last three or four years. So on paper... They're number three. Like I have it three yeah. overall in the two-year rolling recruiting ranking. And there's a lot to really like there, um, but they have to actually like start to produce with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, moving on, we have Oklahoma State, which, man, that defense was just all sorts of nasty. They were number three in the country. Um, yep. I believe they have a lot departing, but now that I'm looking at the numbers, it might not be as much as I had anticipated. Uh, their offense was a mess. Obviously they're, they, I mean, the quarterback is a problem and uh, did, did they get a transfer? I, I don't think they did. Right. No, no, Ooh. they're sticking. They're sticking. With, yeah, I know. And he's, I mean, Spencer Sanders is a real problem. Um, and Casey Dunn's their offensive court. I mean, things have really gone downhill for Riley since he hired, Oh God, Gleason, Sean Gleason, um, who's now the offensive coordinator at Rutgers. Um, you know, that really put their offense in the ditch. Um, and he hasn't been able to pull it out. And meanwhile, like, I mean, it's sort of like that was Mike Leach years, you know, where all of a sudden, like you didn't notice that the offense got really bad up there because like the defense kind of sneaky, got sneaky good. Um, for Oklahoma state, they had the number three off defensive beta rank last season. Now they've got a really good coaching and development number, number 14 overall, um, you know, because they do a good job. I mean, whether, you know, like they can't seem to get the offense and defense going at the same time, but they've done a good job historically developing players on both sides of the ball. Um, they do return 37% of their defense off of last year. I would, here's the thing with this Oklahoma state number, there's room for this offense to potentially improve. I don't necessarily think by a lot. Yeah. If you had 
just told me like that Mike Riley had had to go out and like just find somebody for defensive coordinator to replace Knowles, you know, um, you know, or basically like up until he hired Derek Mason, I would have said like, I think this is really high on them. Man, he's like Mike or Mike Gundy snuck in there and like robbed the bank and got Derek Mason, who just <laughs> wanted out of Auburn. He got him on a reduced salary just to get said, "Get me out of here." And that's that's a great hire. Mason was really good last season with Auburn. That gives you some hope that I think like, I don't know that Oklahoma state's able to stay up here at like 13, but I could certainly see them hanging around the top 20, you know, um, next season for sure. Yeah. And I, the, there are a lot of, uh, Gundy, Gundy is, is certainly a personality and <laughs> there, there has been a lot right. of problems with that program with, with, with that said, um, man, just over and over and over again. How many times has that program, um, you know, you kind of think they're going to take a step back. You look at the recruiting class and you go, I don't know, this might be it. And then they've right. like, whether it's through hires and through, co- and through the development of their players like that, that program has an identity and has a long track record of being able to remain competitive uh, over and over and over again. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they are able to like, can they hit the top when Texas and, and uh, Oklahoma, you know, bounce out of the conference? Like that's just it, that in its own is really fascinating. Um, okay, Rob, let, let's do one more level here. And then let's uh, let's maybe record the next the next group grouping in our next podcast here because there's another drop off after Oklahoma, um, and uh, th- th- so Oklahoma I'm sorry Oklahoma State Oklahoma State clocked in at 1.52 they're number 13 in the country and then you have another grouping of of teams Oregon Cincinnati North Carolina State Penn State and Auburn. And they clock in at 14, 15, 16, and 17, and Auburn at 18. Um, yeah, this is our next Pac-12 team, Oregon. Um, you know, like, obviously they've recruited well. There's there's a changeover in the coaching staff. Um, you know, you take a look at their numbers, and like, this seems about right. But I, I do think that th- this is of, – of those teams, this seems like the team that has a chance to, to finish higher or finish lower – you know, just depending on, right. on the production of the team. I mean, I think certainly like for Cincinnati, they're going to have to replace Desmond Ritter. Um, but they, you know, they keep their defensive coordinator. They certainly have the scheme going there. Um, they recruit to their needs pretty well, um, you know, and develop talent, you know, but the, like, I think Cincinnati's going to be fine. Like we don't have them projected in the top 10. So I'm pretty comfortable with where they're at at 15 ish, but I think Oregon's got a shot. The overall talent level there is good. I mean, they're at number 10 in our two year rolling recruiting rankings, but you know, they haven't done a great job versus their talent level at actually developing play. I mean, like certainly they've gotten players developed, but the overall product on the college football field hasn't lived up to expectations for sure. And, uh, you know, in particular as the recruiting rankings have picked up, um, you know, but the defense is, you know, I expect the defense to be a lot better. I think the question that I would have for anyone, and uh, I'm interested to hear your take on it is like, I think Kenny Dillingham is good as an offensive coordinator hire, but what do they have on offense? 
is it Bo Nix? What do they have any kind of downfield passing threat? Um, and if they don't, can Dillingham get the most out of the run game in the way that Joe Moorhead was able to? I think the run game is fine. It was interesting. I wish we had listened to the Quack 12 podcast before we recorded our Oregon postmortem because Hitlade did a, a breakdown of Oregon's offense. Um, and I, I disagree with him on a couple things. The first was the the talent of the wide receivers because I just, you know, w- when you have a room that's on paper that talented, um, you should see some production from it. And I know that they did have explosive plays, but I just, I don't, I, I feel like that core isn't as talented as it looks in the recruiting rankings. Um, I did agree with him on the offensive line. I thought that the running backs are going to be really fascinating. They are stacked and have always been stacked at running back. And Brian Cardwell, I, I was just fa- like, I'm so excited to watch him play. The one thing that he mentioned that I hadn't taken into consideration um, was the development of quarterbacks. And I think he makes a really good point here because when you take a look at Justin Herbert, when you take a look at, um, at Tyler Shuck, and then at Brown, and then when you take a look at the five, you know, blue chip quarterbacks behind them, the ones that we've always harped on, like is Butterfield going to transfer yet? Is Ashfield going to transfer? He, fi- he finally did. Um, when Mario Cristobal left, the one big change that he made to his staff was he had the offensive coordinator run the offense, and then he brought in somebody specifically to develop quarterback. Um, which I find fascinating, right? Because it is almost like an admission of I should have done that here, like spent more money to focus, having somebody specifically focus on the quarterback. Cause I think the, um, I don't think they had that position at Oregon or that was the impression that he left with me. Um, so I think it's interesting to see what, what this staff is able to do with the quarterbacks that they have. I'm not bullish. <laughs> like I think Nick's will be fine. I think I think you're going to see that offense be about where it was this year, which was like top 15. Um, but I I just don't see a renaissance this coming year, whether it's Bo Nix or Ty Thompson. Um, and that I mean, because 14 was pretty good, and I yeah. know I know that the offense sputtered out over time, but the explosiveness made up for it. I think it kind of I think you might see a a, a different distribution of those numbers, but at the end of the day, the final result being the same. Um, but I do think you see the defense pop up a little bit. Um, yeah. And I, I, I know I feel like 15's probably a good, a good landing spot, but I, I, there could be a scenario where that defense, which did have a lot of injuries, you know, um, maybe, maybe makes us a, a smaller advancement. Maybe they get to like 35 and then the offense is at like 20. And then you see Oregon around like top 25 team. I think that's possible. But yeah, I mean, yeah. what they have to clean up is the pass defense, right? Like, um, and I think that's, po- I mean, landing is going to be a step up for sure. Right. I mean, and like, yeah, I'm just going to treat it. The landing is calling plays and Tosh LaPoy is not until proven otherwise. Yeah. But I think, I mean, landing is going to be a big, I mean, like I, I expect him to have the same kind of effect that we talked about with like Brent Venables on Oklahoma, right? Like you expect them to make an immediate impact on how that team plays. Um, and I think that's a big thing for, for Oregon because their defense was, you know, on the wrong side of, of middle of the road power five last season at 44. I wouldn't be surprised to see their offense take a little bit of a step back. I think Moore had got a lot out of what they had. Um, 
you know, with the pieces on the board. Now it's not to say like, you know, they did, they did like the offensive line pieces are really good, but you got to see the quarterbacks be able to really take that step forward. And I, I like, I, I they got to really show me they can before I sort of fully buy in. They also have some special teams to clean up. I mean, they were at 78 in special teams, but yeah, I mean, I, I like Oregon. Absolutely. I would say is like right in this range. I wouldn't expect them to fall out of the top 25, you know, but I also would be surprised if they crack the top 10 next year. Hey Rob, let's do, let's do one more team because we're, we're bumping up on about an hour and 15. Let, let's talk Cincinnati and then okay. we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. And I think there's a lot, I, I'm so excited to talk about the worst teams too. So, so there is much, <laughs> much to cover in here. And I like the fact that we're hitting kind of a national perspective here because we do watch a lot of college football. Let's talk about Cincinnati here. They clock in at number 15 and, um, they're going to lose Desmond Ritter. They, uh, I, um, I mean, it was just, it was just a heck of a season. I don't, I just don't know what I, I, I don't know what to think about Cincinnati. I think they'll be fine. They moved to the, the big 12. Um, but uh, is yeah. it, is it reasonable to, to have them as a top 15 program? Or I think that they might be a team that ends up top 20 at the end of the year, given they lose their quarterback, given that there's, they're going to make some changes, um, you know, throughout, uh, throughout the season, like, you know, sauce, well, I think it's sauce Gardner sauce. Well, that guy was yeah. so dis- I think I, I, I forget what the stat was, but I think he gave up 40 yards per game, uh, to wide receivers. So like he didn't give up more than 40 yards in a game. I mean, it was like something so outrageously amazing for a quarter. Like, I don't think they're going to have a player like that for a long time. And it just allowed them to be more aggressive on the defense. When you have a lockdown corner, think of all the cool stuff you could do with that safety or that linebacker on that side of the field. So yeah, walk me through what the expectations that you have for Cincinnati. I mean, look, I think we should have faith that Cincinnati is going to have a really good defense again, because that's been their calling card, right? Um, and I think that, you know, like they're, they've shown in player development and that they understand the scheme. Like, I think the defense is going to be fine. They also have like, oddly enough, (laughs) this is one of those funny things. Um, Mike Denbrock was the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati. He is now the offensive coordinator at LSU. But when Luke Fickle announced the new offensive coordinator for Cincinnati, it was an internal promotion. And he said, this guy's already been playing calls, play, calling plays all year <laughs> because he'd actually taken play calling away from Denbrock at the beginning of last year. Oh, man. Um, so <clears throat> it's Gino. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to look this up before I do the preview video on how to pronounce it. Guidolgi? Man, that is Guidolgi? Good. Yeah, ah, whatever. Look it up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It is, it is, it is a lot to pronounce right now. And I haven't had a chance to hear it said yet. Um, but I think the offense, like the offense is what got them, you know, really into the playoff, the, the offense taking a step forward. Look, I think it's reasonable to expect that the offense takes a bit of a step back, um, from where they were last year. They were at 20. The defense was 11. I could see the defense finished. I, I would be shocked if the defense falls out of the top 20. I think Luke fickle, that is his calling card as a coach. Um, their special teams were awful though. So they have an opportunity to pick up some sort of like, you know, $20 bills on the sidewalk by improving their special teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's reasonable to expect them to take a little bit of a step back 
from Des, you know, Desmond Ritter. I think it, in the advanced stats, you could see them, you know, it, but last year we had them as a top 10 team ish, um, you know, at least heading into the playoff. Um, you know, I think we're going to have them. I don't think it's unreasonable to have them kind of in this range between 15 and 20. I'd be surprised if they fell that far down to where you would talk about them out of the very low twenties. Um, Cause I think the defense should be really good. I think that the recruiting has been pretty good. They do a good job identifying talent in Ohio that, um, you know, some of the power five programs overlook um, and in Kentucky too. Um, and I think that they have, I think that, like I said, like and they have continuity. I mean, the same way we talk about with Utah, I mean, they have continuity at the play calling. They do. And I should mention, right. I mentioned they're going into the big 12. They're not playing that schedule yet. So they right. still, yeah, they get the American. Yeah. So which, which is always a plus. Um, I guess the, the big thing that I'm looking at is right. 114th in returning production on defense, but yeah. like, but to your point, right. If that's been really the foundation of that team's identity over the years, like you have to assume that, um, yes, they're going to lose a lot of good players. Yes. They're going to take a dip, but where, where is the floor for that? It's, it's a pretty high floor yeah. for Cincinnati and man, it'd be awesome if Cincinnati just continues to, uh, and they've done it two years in a row. And like, I, I, you know, I, I would argue that it seemed like the team that they had last year might even been better than the team they had this, this, uh, this last season. So I don't anticipate that trajectory, um, I don't, I, you know, I don't see them bouncing back to being a playoff team, but if they can win 10 games or nine games and be really competitive, that'd be awesome just to see another yeah. power, um, you know, emerge. And maybe it's not a playoff power, but somebody that can compete with you know, like another Wisconsin that just isn't, you know, that isn't in one of the major conferences yet, I think would be awesome for college football. Well, they're going to, they're going to be dangerous. I don't think, you know, I don't think we'll be talking about them as a playoff team again you know, this season, but they could pile up. I mean, they'd have to go undefeated. I don't think they're undefeated. Good. I think that they are one or two lost good in America. Okay, cool. Well, Hey, let, let's wrap that up here. So we made it to our top 15. We have plenty of other teams coming up by the way. Um, oh man. I'm <laughs> so I'm like trying to look down and I'm like, Oh, I don't see another PAC 12 team for a while. Not good, Rob. Not good. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's US, USC is the next one. Like the, the PAC 12 is just, um, it was, a, it was, it was kind of a rough year last year for the Pac-12 again. Yeah. Uh, with that said though, lot, lots of fun, uh, coverage that we're going to continue to, to crank through. We'll keep an eye on Jane Daniels. We'll make sure to, to keep a look on, uh, any Pac-12 news that comes up and, Oh, we still have a couple of postmortems to do, right? We have UCLA and, uh, but let, let's, we, I like pressing pause on that for a bit and just kind of taking a good, uh, overview of, of what to expect for 2022, Anything else to uh, cover here, Rob, before we sign off? No, I mean, just check us out at, uh, you know, the Sharp College Football YouTube channel. Um, you know, as we do the preview videos or and check out the, the projections at Sharp College Football. Yeah, yeah. Keep a look on that. Really excited to crank through these. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to put together rosters. We're starting to put together um, projections with context. So pretty excited about that, too. So stay tuned and we will catch you next week.